0: Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who are decidedly not Ashton Kutcher girls. I'm
1: Hannah Leach. <laughs> and I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Tuping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them.
0: We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, Are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we
1: really care
0: if they are?
1: Today we are talking about 2003's Cheaper by the Dozen.
0: 12 kids? I couldn't keep her off me. (laughs) (laughs) They were one big, happy family, until dad tried to make things better.
1: Shake McGuire wants me to coach the Stallions. My whole life is here at Midland. I'm not moving. I promise you, we will be a happier, stronger family. No idea what that means. No.
0: I got him! I uh, I don't got him! Things are getting a
1: little tougher.
0: They asked me to go to New York for a few days. I can handle this. Ah.
1: Clean up on aisle 12! You We'll need help cleaning up?
0: Life's turning a bit crazier.
1: Have you seen my frog, Dad? Sorry, Charlie. Uh, Nigel. It's Mark. I knew that.
0: When I was reading the intro, it struck me as really funny to think that Cheaper by the Dozen would have inspired our love for film.
1: (laughs) It's a bit generous, but, you know, it's okay. (laughs) It didn't not inspire it.
0: It didn't actively (laughs) detract, no. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, How's your day been, Audrey? You know, whenever you ask that question, I just feel... Actually, this, it kind of relates to our question for the culture. Can we actually just do the question for the culture? Okay, okay, sure, 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 sure. Okay, this week's
0: question for the culture.
1: The culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad, period. Be real,
0: the application.
1: Simply, why? So to answer your question, when you ask me how my day is, I still work from home. I'm a full-time editor on top of doing this job, obviously. And so, you know, every day when that Be Real (laughs) notification strikes, 9.7 times out of 10, I am sitting in the same spot in my room, in my apartment. And I really just don't have anything... I have nothing to share. Like, nothing has happened to me today. Like, there's just nothing – you know what I mean? Like, what what am I supposed to say? And, okay, I'm assuming that, like, everyone listening
0: knows what Be Real is, but just the super short version is it's this really shitty, shittily made application where once a day they'll be like, you have two minutes to post a picture, and then you just, like, post a picture of yourself and then, like, whatever you're doing at the time.
1: And it takes a picture on your selfie cam and your outside camera at roughly the same time. And that is the visual.
0: Overall, I have to agree with you. But I was, especially like over the past few weeks, um, because I'm in my new office space today, to those watching on YouTube, I will be recording here from now on. I'm so glad to have a consistent space. But I would always be at home, grimy, gross, at like 1 p.m. And I'm just like... I don't want the world to see this. Like, is this real yeah. enough
1: for you? I think it is an interesting kind of next take on social media. Like, the, the person who created this app never, I'm sure, did not expect that they would ever catch on like wild fl- Wildflower, what? Wild <laughs> Dolly fire, the way that they have. But the um, kind of like the purpose and the ideology behind the app makes complete sense as to Mm -hmm. why it would pop off today. Because we are in the midst of Instagram's death. Like we are in the middle of Instagram's (laughs) death. And for the longest time, I remember thinking like, how is Instagram, how would it die? Like, I just don't see how something so integral could, could die. What is it? Like, what is it that they're going to do that could make people not want to post anymore? Well, they figured it out. They, they, They've done it. And it has to do with competing with TikTok uh, with short form video. Basically, our cousins told me about it one day and I was like, what is this app? Like, I literally had never heard of it. And then within a week, it was during that huge wave when everybody got it, like in the same week, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this will be cute to have with like just my family and like maybe two friends. But then random ass people that you're not actually close with will start requesting you. And then it's like, well, if I accept them, I'm not going to want to use it because I'm not going to want to post my grimy self at 2 p.m. (laughs) on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the take. That's the question. I have not accepted
0: anyone who I wouldn't be okay with witnessing grime, but also I haven't really gotten any troubling requests. I have. (laughs) I know you have. I've I've received screenshots of the troubling requests and um, it's just like, uh-huh. yeah, not the best. <laughs> I guess there's no answer to the question for the culture. We're merely planting some seeds of uh, discourse.
1: I'm not wholly against it, but I definitely don't use it every day. Like when I get the notification, most of the time I'm like, no, and I just don't do it. <laughs> Well, my thing is I'll go to
0: do it and then you open it and it doesn't even let you take the picture and you're like relaunching the app four million times. And it's just like, how are people using this? Like, how is this even a thing?
1: I can imagine them just like freaking out, panicking at Be Real headquarters every day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems like it would (laughs)
0: probably be a really hostile work environment right now. Yeah. Add us on Be Real or don't add us on Be Real.
1: If you can find us. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Catch us if you can, bitches. (laughs) So are we ready to get into this week's movie? I think so. Okay. Okay. So we're getting it into the facts surrounding 2003's Cheaper by the Dozen. This movie was released on Christmas Day 2003 and was rated PG for language and some thematic elements. To which I asked myself, what does that even mean? So I looked it up just so we know. Thematic elements or thematic material is a term used by the Motion Picture Association of America and other film ratings boards to highlight elements of a film that do not fit into the traditional categories, such as violence, sex, drug use, nudity, and language, but may also involve some degree of objectionable content. (laughs) I don't know why it has to be categorized to be listed, uh, but apparently that's the rule. Now we know the movie was directed by Sean Levy, best known for his work, uh, mostly as a producer on Stranger Things from start to finish. He's still working on it, as well as Free Guy, Arrival, The Adam Project and The Spectacular Now.
1: That can I just say that Sean Levy's work as a whole is representative of white culture.
0: <laughs> yes, you are absolutely right. <laughs> it's for white people. And this movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Definitely. So the movie was well. Like this whole story has six people credited. So, first of all, it was a novel co-written by Frank B. Gilbreth Jr. and Ernestine Gilbreth Carey, who were siblings. But they had a big family, is my understanding. So it's like a semi-autobiographical situation. And then the screen story, oh, and of course, there was a movie, there was a 1950s adaptation of of this story um, that came out a lot, like, closer to the book release, obviously. But anyway, screen story is credited to Greg Titley, LOL, and he has worked on Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. He was the producer, or one of the producers, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., obviously involved in Cheaper by the Dozen, and was also a story producer on Scooby-Doo 2002. And then the screenplay was written by three people, or three people have credits for it at least. Sam Harper, Joel Cohen, and Alec Sokolow. And Joel and Alec collaborated on Toy Story, the screenplay, but with like a bunch of other people. And Alec worked on the Arsenial Hall show, like a million episodes. And he also wrote Garfield and Garfield Tale of Two Kitties, just in case you needed to know. And Sam Harper did not have any credits i recognized so i was rude and i didn't write them down
1: i rewatched toy story 2 the other day uh, and i laughed out loud like really several times it was really good it oh. might be the best one
0: i feel like it kind of is the best one
1: and doesn't it like ravage your soul in the end No, I think Toy Toy Story 3 was the one that people were uh, Uh, really sad at the end because Andy leaves for college. Yes.
0: I haven't seen Toy Story 2 in so long, but we watched it all the time when we were kids.
1: Yeah, I mean, I honestly didn't even remember it very much. I hadn't seen it in so long. When somebody loved me. Who could
0: forget? Okay, so now going into these synopses, let's see if there are discrepancies between IMDb, Letterboxd, and Rotten Tomatoes. Here is IMDb. Juggling career and family can be a lot. Tom and Kate Baker, the proud parents of 12 children, have chosen family over career expectations. However, their lives suddenly change when small-town coach Tom is offered his dream job, and Kate's book has been accepted for publication. Now, with her promoting it, it is up to Tom to look after the children, take care of the house, and handle a new job.
1: Can he bring order out of the chaos? They're focusing too much on that aspect of the movie. That's not really what it's about. It's kind of. I think that's kind of They're, they're accurate. focusing on the plot. Like, yeah, I just feel like there's a bigger idea here. But okay, anyway. <laughs> the letterboxed synopsis is... The baker brood moves to Chicago after Patriarch Tom gets a job coaching football at Northwestern University, forcing his writer wife, Mary, and the couple's 12 children to make a major adjustment. The transition works well until work demands pull the parents away from home, leaving the kids bored and increasingly mischievous. Okay. That's off. They
0: brought up the mischief. (laughs) So they got that. Okay. And now last but not least, Rotten Tomatoes. Tom, Steve Martin, and Kate Baker, Bonnie Hunt, have compromised their careers to raise 12 children. Tom coaches a high school football team, while Kate has retired from journalism to raise the family. Things change when Tom is offered a college coaching job in a new city at the same time a publisher buys Kate's parenting memoir. Parenting memoir. After moving, it's what it Kate, is? I guess <laughs> it kind of is. After moving, Kate goes on a book tour, leaving Tom in charge of the children, who already unhappy about relocating,
1: plunge the household into chaos. Accurate. Fair enough. Two taglines. The first one is: "This Christmas, the more, the scarier." <laughs> That's good. I mean, a Christmas release is very high stakes, so they had to say that. Yes. And then the second one is Growing Pains. They've got 12 of them. (laughs) So nowadays, this season, I'm doing the cast. And let me say, this cast is freaking giant. But I wanted to include all the kids because I wanted to know which of them had stopped acting. So that was the reason that I did all of the kids. So first and foremost, Steve Martin plays Tom. He is known for Roxanne, The Jerk, Pink Panther, and more recently, Only Murders in the Building. Don't really have to go on about him. Um, well,
0: he's also like a very famous comedian. He's the kind of person banjo. that like would have, Yeah, he he plays bluegrass music now. But also he's kind of one of those people that like our parents' age would be really into or could be drawn in by. So it was sort of like very intentional casting to have him be the lead in this movie.
1: Yep, same with Bonnie Hunt. Mm -hmm. Um, she is known for Jumanji, the original, not the Jack Black ones, obviously, (laughs) the Green Mile, Jerry Maguire and Rain Man. So those are very prestigious Oscar baby films right there. Mm -hmm. But Hannah and I were just noting how much she reminds us of the mom from Switching Goals because they look so similar and they even have like similar mannerisms. Like, they
0: look so similar. I texted Audrey these two pictures and was almost like, can you pick out which one is actually her? They look so similar. It's unreal.
1: Then we have our queen, Piper <laughs> Paravos is back. <laughs> she is known for coyote, ugly, billions, Yellowstone. And then I added Beverly Hills Chihuahua because <laughs> I noticed that after. Yeah. I noticed that one this week. What a queen! Tom Welling plays Charlie. He's the hot old bro- oldest brother. Um, he's known <laughs> for Smallville. <laughs> yeah, he's known for Smallville and Lucifer mostly, but Smallville is his main, yeah. main claim to fame. Then we have Hilary Duff playing Lorraine. <laughs> we are really I'm have shaking to say. My head. Cinderella Story, for The Perfect Man, Raise Your Voice, the Lizzie McGuire movie. It's like a little, we'll talk about it later, but I do feel yeah. like her in this context, it's like easier to take. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. Okay, next, Kevin G. Schmidt. Plays Henry, he's known for the butterfly effect and Alvin and the Chipmunks. And he hasn't done a whole lot else. Damn. But he is still acting. Allison Stoner plays Sarah. She's known for Camp Rock, Phineas and Ferb, Step Up, Sweet Life, and being a voice and advocate for. <laughs> prior child actors of the world. There's also a really funny rap about, have you ever heard the rap that somebody made about Alison Stoner? <laughs> I don't know. It's really inappropriate, honestly. <laughs> okay. Can I tell is you what the lyrics?
0: her? Yes, please do.
1: Yeah, it is. It's like, motherfucking Allison Stoner. <laughs> and it's like, it's like from her perspective, but it's not her rapping. So okay. she, it's like something, some like something, something. I was in Camp Rock, but for me and Demi, it was Camp Cog. <laughs> Stoner. A real ass motherfucking bitch just stepped in the fucking game. Allison motherfucking Stoner.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I never Dylan, I never Cole, but I bet you they I my pussy at Camp Rocket. for me and Demi, it was Camp <laughs> That's funny because as I will also talk about later, I'm just gonna say one sentence and I'll say it again later. The way that they lesbian code child Allison Stoner is yeah. honestly something for the books. We will return yep. to that statement.
1: Okay, next, Jacob Smith plays Jake, and only thing I'm gonna note him for is Phantom of the Megaplex, which is a fun decom. Forrest Landis plays Mark, he's little Ginger with the frog. Um, he stopped <laughs> acting in 2008, but he did a few projects such as Flight Plan and the Skeleton Key, but he's gone. I hope he's thriving today. Uh-huh. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Liliana Mummy plays Jessica, who is one of the twin girls, but they're not actually twins. She's in the Santa Claus two and three. She she's Madge's voice in the Howl's Moving Castle English dub but I don't remember who, what character that is. And then she also is the voice of Myrtle, not in the actual movie, Lilo and Stitch, but in every other spin-off and TV show of it. She's wow. Myrtle. She doesn't get to go, yeah. get off me, somebody do something. <laughs> and then Morgan York plays Kim, who's the other twin girl. She stopped acting in 2010, but she was in a bunch of episodes of Hannah Montana as someone named Sarah. So that's interesting. Blake Woodruff plays Mike. He was a child actor on a lot of things. His acting jobs have been more sparse in recent years. He acted one time in 2017. (laughs) That's it. Okay, okay. Shane and Brent Kinsman play the little boy twins Kyle and Nigel. Read their little bio, saw that they were discovered at four years old at a Dodgers game. Not predatory. <laughs> yeah. And they were in Desperate Housewives and the ER, like, as twins. So that was their thing. Finally, so that's all the kids. We've got Stephen Anthony Lawrence, who plays Dylan, who's the neighbor kid. And that is Beans from <laughs> even Stevens. But he also is in the Cat in the Hat movie, which makes a lot of sense because he looks susian.
0: You know what I mean? He does. And also, it's funny that his character... Or that he is known for playing a character named Beans because there's also a character named Beans in this movie and it's a frog.
1: Alan Ruck plays Bill, who is Beans' father. (laughs) Um, And I didn't know this, but he's from Cleveland and he is most well known for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And more recently, he was in The Dropout and Speed and Star Trek Generations. Those are some of the things he's known for. He's also in Succession. Yes, Succession. That's at a big least in one. the beginning. Yeah. I'm
0: still in the beginning.
1: Yeah. Also, Succession. He's in all of it. I love his character. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful, but it's great. Yeah. Where was Ashton? Oh, <laughs> I literally erased him from my mind. <laughs> Ashton was also in this movie. I tried to forget. I we're don't not know what he's in he's in that movie um no strings attached. He's known for punked. <laughs> that 70s show. That 70s show. That's good enough. <laughs> so the budget for Achiever by the Dozen was roughly 40 million. Opening weekend they made twenty-seven million five hundred fifty-seven thousand six hundred forty-seven and worldwide gross is a hundred and ninety million two hundred twelve thousand one hundred and thirteen. That's insane. That is insane. That just shows you the power of white family propaganda. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and Steve Martin and Hillary Duff in 2003. Time for critical and audience opinions. So, Critic Score and Letterbox average star rating. We had a 24% score critically on Rotten
1: Tomatoes and 2.9 stars on Letterbox. Most movies end up in the 2.8 to 3.3, three, I would say most yeah. most movies do because that's how most movies are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's really true. I guess especially the ones that we cover.
1: Yeah, that and it's true. It's like an accurate rating, I find. The critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes.
0: In This Family of 12 Children, Much Chaos Ensues, but Little Hilarity. Too true. And then critic opinions, I just picked one from Roger Ebert. Hey, I like cheaper by the dozen. These actors are skilled at being nice. Um okay, and now as one of my new favorite things, Common Sense Media. They describe this movie as inferior remake of 1950 classic has sexual references. Not okay. Okay. And these are the topics that you can discuss with your family. Families can talk about how the parents work together to make sure that they achieve a balance between time for work and time for each other. They can also talk about the fact that this movie was a remake of the 1950 movie of the same title, and this one was modernized for contemporary audiences. Why is Hollywood fond of remakes? What would the challenge be in remaking a family movie that is over five decades old? Why is Hollywood a fan of remakes? We are still asking that question. I'm asking
1: myself. You know why? And, because humans love predictability and they love comfort yeah. and they love knowing what they're going to get. And then lastly, how is pratfall violence used for the sake of
0: comedy? Why is it funny for some people to see people fall over and break things? i
1: I'm asking the same <laughs> questions. I've never been a pratfall type of girl. I do not care. Yeah. I don't think it's funny. And if that makes me a stick in the mud, that's fine. <laughs>
0: Okay, and now for audience opinions, we had an audience score of 56% and just a few uh, little snippets here. Three stars, nothing cozier. Next one, 0.5 stars, procreation propaganda and insidious to the core, built around bullshit family values and threadbare, indecipherable storytelling. Nothing about this movie makes any sort of sense. Remember, if an athletic cup falls in your pasta, always say pasta de la crotch as you take it out of the marinara sauce. And lastly, three stars, essential pile of DVDs left at a vacation home core. Correct. Very agreed. (laughs) Very agreed. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of when did we first watch this? What do we remember? Um, I have all my thoughts written down here, but Audrey, what do you have?
1: I actually have no memory. I know I saw it like when I was little, but I don't know when. I have no memories surrounding that. I do feel like we probably got it. Well, we did get it from the library because we didn't own it. So, yes. We saw it at somebody's house, something like that. Yeah, I think, okay. there's a part of me that thinks that we
0: may have seen it in theaters, not on Christmas, obviously, but. It just seems like something we may have seen. I don't totally know, but this is what I could recall before I rewatched it. I had not watched it since 2006 at the very latest. I always thought it was crazy when I was a kid that Hilary Duff wasn't the oldest sister. Like, it seems like she should be, but she's not.
1: I like that she's not.
0: Yeah. Because God forbid she, like, is someone age appropriate. Like, she's actually playing her age. In my mind, she had a bad attitude, which ultimately is actually not true. The oldest sisters from Coyote Ugly, which I didn't remember that specifically, but I did remember that she has a shitty slash stupid BF. And then I wrote down pranks, boys, football team. Uh, I remembered the fact that they moved. I remember their new house. Um, I wrote down, is the mom the mom from switching goals or am I just deeply wrong? And then I really remembered this being a relatively deep movie about family when I was a kid. That is how I recalled
1: it. I should have said, like, plot-wise, what I remember, I remember it all because I have seen this movie, like, in recent years. Um, Oh. Hunter and I have watched it. We've also viewed the second one. And we cry. Um, you know?
0: (laughs) Did you see the 2022 reboot?
1: Remake. No, No, I will not be viewing. Okay, so this movie's on Disney+. Plus. You can watch it there very easily. We will be right back to discuss Cheaper by the Dozen.
0: Hey everyone we are back I always say the literal exact same thing here ye we have reconvened to decree our issues with cheaper by the dozen from 2003
1: because we had a lot of fun with the trivia in our first episode of this season we thought we would continue the, the trend and each week we're gonna ask each other a pop quiz. Um, a few questions about the movie and see what we remember, and it's also gonna force us to pay more attention. <laughs>
0: yeah, which is what we need. The movie.
1: So here's question number one. This is a challenge potentially, but I think you can do it for sure. Name four of the
0: twelve children. So you got the baby twins, Kyle
1: and Nigel.
0: I actually, yes. can do this. And then Lorraine, yeah, Hilary Duff, and Mark, who Has got his work.
1: I'll name them in order just for funsies. Okay. Nora, Charlie, Lorraine, Henry, Sarah, Jake, Mark, Jessica, Kim, Mike, Kyle, Nigel, (laughs) Done. Imagine being a child named Kim. Second question. What is the name of the band that performs the song I'm Just a Kid? Simple plan. Yeah. And thirdly. What is the mascot for the college football team that Tom coaches? I have choices if you need them. The Stallions? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's their mascot, but that's the team name. That's what I meant. Which was
0: confusing to me because I'm pretty sure that Northwestern's team is the Wildcats. But for some reason, they're calling it the Stallions.
1: I don't know why they're even saying it's It's not Northwestern. Their colors are red in the movie. Like, that doesn't make sense.
0: Well, so and I thought like, it was a
1: fictional school. Anyway, Thank you for participating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I will quiz you next week. You can't study for it, so get ready. <laughs> and now let's move on to our thoughts. Who should go first? What let's do let's do good first cuz I have a lot more bad than good.
1: Well, right off the bat in this movie, these are the days. <laughs> I wrote down mom and dad core. Like that song kind of goes off in this context. You think so? <laughs> yes. Mark's room, the the reject child of this family. Yes. See, that's actually the sweet room. Like, that's actually the cool room. So, I wrote the same thing. Yeah, I'm like, there should be no shame in his game. Like, you got the Harry Potter room, but, like, on 10. Like, the cool room. Yeah. So, like, Yes. I... Get over it.
0: Yeah, like you're fine. Also, it's like you're all getting
1: your own room except for the twins. Yeah. That will be a nine-bedroom house. I mean, that's something we got. I have things to say about that, but it's not particularly positive. Um, Okay. But the line, my latte... When the, the kid, basically the bullies at school are supposed, there are these like white kids that are wearing like backwards caps, which is a whole thing. Right. But they're supposed to be like rich white <laughs> kids of Evanston. And yeah. he's about to like bully one of the kids of the Baker family. And he knocks, so somebody knocks over his coffee and he's like, my latte. <laughs> my final thing to, to really appreciate is that this movie does bring back like that feeling of moving as a kid and like how much the same thing yeah it sucks but like I can appreciate that 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 wasn't a somewhat accurate portrayal of the feeling that's what it feels like
0: yeah, yeah, like the shot where the trucks are like going down the freeway. I wrote down the exact same thing. I wrote down the feeling of moving is bananas because it really is when you're a kid. Yeah. But I mean, we thrived everywhere we moved to. <laughs> Prime Hillary Duff being in this movie is extremely weird. However, her actually having well written, interesting lines is nice to see.
1: Yeah, it's refreshing and like her playing a character because she's not as we know and have established, she's not the best actress of her generation. No. So having her lines actually re- like pretty closely align with her, it feels it feels more right. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I did think that they did a good job of like
0: actually giving her a distinct character. Like the other kids, kind yeah. of all blend together, but of course, they're going to give her like a more fleshed out personality. The part
1: where like I Steve care. Martin comes I, in gonna... and
0: they're like talking on her bed, I'm like, bro, this is bad. But whatever.
1: It's simply not worth thinking about that anymore. We have we not gotten past this. <laughs> This is Hillary Duff is not a question of good or bad.
0: <laughs> You're right. We're beyond that. I really enjoyed the implied Catholicism of Nora not being allowed to sleep with her boyfriend in the same house. And I also appreciated it when they finally bring up the rosary like 60% of the way through the movie. I'm like, thank God they yeah. finally named the Catholicism. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because they almost don't. They almost don't bring up religion at all. And it's like, this is the most Catholic family I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's like, there's definitely
0: <laughs> something going on here. Because why the hell else yeah. would you have that many kids? I love and am confused by Allison Stoner being framed as
1: a gay child. They literally call her butch, which is hilarious. And... you Go ahead. You ain't <laughs> seen nothing compared to the second movie. Cheever by the Dozen, it gets... It gets intensified. Really? Yeah, because, and guess who her love interest is? She turned, they do make her straight in the end. But guess who her her love love interest interest is? Taylor
0: Lautner. (laughs) 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 Okay, Taylor Lautner is the type of guy that lesbians like, so it all makes sense. And then my last good thing is, or not even good, but like, I wasn't that wrong about Tone. Like, it is a quote-unquote deep movie about family, in some ways. So at least there's that. Now the bad. Take us away.
1: I didn't think it as a kid, but watching it now, I definitely kind of do feel like it's big family propaganda. But at (laughs) the same time, it's like, well, big families do exist and they do love each other. So like, I guess that's valid. (laughs) Fellas,
0: is (laughs) it gay to have a big family and love each other? I'm just like,
1: yeah, viewing it as a kid, I was just like, Okay. I I didn't, because I just wasn't thinking about it from a parental or adult perspective at all. Yeah. So I think I was just like, wow, how zany would it be to have a group of 12 children? That Evanston house would be like $1 billion. I wrote that down (laughs) too. I was like, Okay, yes, he got a job upgrade, but is he a billionaire? Because that shit is crazy. There's a potential that it's like a university
0: owned house that maybe they something, but that's like a frat house, like frat house size.
1: they should have clarified that because I'm over here, like, breaking down the square footage. <laughs> I'm like, how, how you're, could they possibly? You're building,
0: you're building it in Sims 4, like, to, to scale, yeah. like, getting into it.
1: I, this, is, this is kind of a, a logistical thing that I thought was annoying. So, obviously, they're going to say that they have 12 kids a lot. They're going to use, and they do, they say... Um, In the voiceover and everything, how often they have 12 kids. When he is at the point, when he is at the point of calling potential babysitters, when they're top three, when they're top three (laughs) oldest (laughs) children, Nora's out of the house, Charlie's like 18 and Hillary's old enough to not need babysat. He's still saying on the phone that he needs a babysitter for 12 kids. And I was like, yeah, you're so dumb. Wrong. Like you're just, it doesn't make sense because if you were desperate for a babysitter, you would minimize the number as much as you could. I thought the same
0: thing. I mean, and it's like classic yeah. us nitpicking, but it's like, come on, get it together.
1: Yeah. It, it's too wrong. Yeah. Like, I can't justify that one. (laughs) Okay, and then my final nitpicky thing, I guess we have to assume that young Mark got on the train at, like, 3 a.m. Right. Because, or literally, like, 4 a.m. Because when they roll up to Midland, it is morning. It is daylight, And that doesn't make sense. I was like, what the hell? I looked up the distance. It's less than a three hour drive. He looked up the distance. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, he must have really been out all night to get on the train that early. Really early in the morning to arrive in Midland when it was light outside. Like, that doesn't make sense.
0: He was having a late night adventure for sure.
1: It's It's also crazy because when they get off the train at Midland, the family is there already. Tom doesn't even have a cell phone. How would he have told them? Wait, how do you know he doesn't have a cell phone? I don't, I guess. But like, they didn't show, you know, it's just like, it's off screen. That communication is off Off screen. Off screen phone call. I just don't believe, I don't believe the logistics of it. Also, the whole family being on the field with the signs. I'm like, your timing is off. There is
0: an unacceptable level of horniness in this movie. Why are the parents like that?
1: I don't know. I think that that is what counts as um, themes or whatever the fuck that we were saying. Like That's what the themes are. Yeah, Yeah, that's the thematic material. And it's because they are advertising to parents. They want adult people to bring their children to this movie. And so they want to portray these parents as like people that still have sex. And that's weird. But it's real. (laughs) It's not. To me, it's not weird to want to portray
0: parents as people that still have sex. But I do think it's really weird That they would, like, make it so unsubtle in this kid's movie. But that being said, I did not remember any of that horniness from when I was a kid. So maybe it does just go over people's heads, but... Yeah, and also,
1: like, I know, like, Americans are especially repressed in this regard. Like, I don't think it, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt a child to know, you know, that their parents love each other and are physical or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, I think that was just in there for the adults. One of my biggest complaints about this movie... In reference to
0: that uh, Wii reviewer video that we've watched a million times about the princess game, when he goes, this Mm -hmm. game is short. The game is short. This movie is loud. Like, (laughs) the difference in volume between the regular scenes and, like, the hijink scenes is, like, insane.
1: Hannah, this is your... TV you need to go into your mix settings because on the TV you can change these things really Wait that explains a lot
0: about my life actually <laughs> yeah because yeah because ever since I've developed my insomnia issue, I watch Bob Ross every night but there's like theme songs at the beginning and at the end every time and it's like, the loudest theme song of all time. And then Bob is so quiet that I'm like cranking the yeah. volume up. I didn't know.
1: Yeah. You can change those settings because what it does, it, it will like, you'll see when you look, but you can like bring music to front and like you can like do the different things in terms of what's prioritized. Even on like a shitty TV? Yeah, even like crappy TVs have that. Y- you've had notes like that in the past and I, I never, I never have the same experience. <laughs> Okay, I have two things, indated and problematic. Is it, it is common for, like, the mother to be the one that gives up her career to raise children. Yeah. I actually thought they portrayed it in kind of a a real way in, in mm-hmm. terms of, like, her, you know, her trying to have a comeback in her career and, like, to actually take some time to do that. And then how quickly that backfires on her and how... Truly, that never gets resolved. Like, that's not that's not resolved in the movie. They're just like, he's basically just like, well, I have to do this. And she's like, well, fuck me, I guess. I don't know what to do. (laughs) And then she just like solves his problems and like comes back. And then they're just like, well, we're a family and we love each other and we love you, dad. And like, that's it. Like, there's no you're so right. You're so right. To resolve that, not even resolve, but to address that storyline, they should have at least had um, a scene at the end where he talks to her about how they're going to, how are they going to balance so that they both can work. Yeah. Like, because the kids were, were, there's no babies. So, like, you know, that could potentially be worked out, but it's just not in there. But it's also, like... It seems so silly because
0: it's like from the beginning of the aria, Mademoiselle, you've been saying that you picked your family over big, lofty career goals. Like, so why all of a sudden are you no, like you didn't. we can have both? Like you can't. Yeah. Unless you're like sensationally wealthy, a la the Von Traps, then it's a different situation. But like, it doesn't make any sense at
1: all. No. And I, I actually, you know, whether they, they definitely didn't mean to, like, shed light on the American family unit, but it kind of did. Like, in the way that that movie is resolved, it says a lot more than I think they could have, like, intended
0: it to. It's- yeah. Yes. I also kind of can't help but wonder, and this is one of the things that makes me feel like it's not that Catholic, even though it is, Is, like, why is Nora so determined to have, like, cut herself out of the family? To be like, I am here doing my thing now. Like, instead of, like, actually really volunteering to help? And also, why does she have, like, the worst boyfriend of all time? Like, there's just some elements about her character that don't make sense to me.
1: I think it makes complete sense that she would want to have her own identity like that's the whole thing is she's like tired of being a caretaker so she's like let me go try to be an adult and like form my own identity and she's she's like being a complete bitch but like I think it is (laughs) it is somewhat realistic like how that's going down I think also the like the
0: sex policing Of her and Ashton Kutcher is extremely real, but also kind of funny because the parents are so, like, not like that with each other. I will say that I thought it was really weird that Ashton Kutcher and the oldest brother looked so similar. (laughs) Like Like, Ashton couldn't be, like, a blonde
1: guy instead. Like, I'm wondering what happened there. I'm actually kind of not mad about it, but the portrayal of the kids in Evanston being, like, white kids, but they're, like somehow urban is a weird thing that they did.
0: Yeah, like when they're moving into the the neighborhood and there's like the white kids in the car next to them listening to hip hop, like rolling up their windows. And they're like, are you sure we're going to fit in here, dad? It's like,
1: Yeah, which... What the fuck? The way that Charlie and Lorraine were bullied at the high school was so fucking weird. So also it was funny Dean from, Dean from Gilmore Girls was the bully. <laughs> 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 and I was like, I just don't buy that. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I don't buy him no. as a bully. I don't care where I don't care where the new kids are from. If they look like that, if they're that hot, no one's yep. saying shit. And that's how I wrote how that it down is. too. I said, oh no, the hot teens are getting bullied. Like, <laughs> they all look
0: exactly the same. How would they even know that they're like from the country?
1: No, and honestly, I feel like in suburban Evanston, that would like somehow give them clout. Like, I don't think they wouldn't be bullied right. for... Being from the country, like I think that would be their strength because they're hot. So like I just don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I don't get it.
1: All the girls would be like, "I bet he lifted bales of hay."
0: A <laughs> strong country boy.
1: Yeah. And my thing is
0: like, okay, Hillary might be from the from the sticks, but look at that full highlight. You'll never see. word <laughs> yeah, like her like it doesn't add up and the in the oh the low-rise green jeans with the lace-ups on the hip bones bitch yeah.
1: i'm like your hand-me-downs are fine like they should have if she was gonna complain about hand-me-downs they she should have had on some really bad outfits like truly yes. bad yes oh which
0: leads me to two points which the first one is I just realized this. How are they like, you can't sleep with anyone until you're married. And yet she's walking around in these like extremely sexy pop star pants, first of all. And then second of all, I don't understand why in everything Hillary Duff is in, she looks exactly the same. Why doesn't anyone ever do anything with her to make her look like a character?
1: I don't think they were allowed. I think it's contractual. She had to maintain her brand for sure. What's the point of that though? Like brand consistency, and an she's an entity. She she's a. It's like the Olsen twins. Like you don't fuck with with perfection, brand perfection. Leave I mean, we did leave all, it alone. And we did
0: already say it's not a question of if she's good or bad. <laughs> don't fuck just, with it. It's just is she there or is she not? And she's there. My last question is, why did the dad?
1: Why did? Tom seems so sad at the
0: Christmas dinner.
1: He w- he wasn't trying to be sad. That was him trying to be sentimental. I see the difference there.
0: You're like I'm different. No, but the look on his face is not no, no.
1: sentimentality. It it was to me. I don't know. That's how I read it. I
0: he to me it looks like he was annoyed.
1: I guess I was just seeing what they intended. <laughs> which they definitely intend. Like, guess I'm different. No, like I just <laughs> genuinely was like projecting what they wanted me to project. <laughs> like that's yes. what they want. This movie's not good. It's not the worst. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's okay. <laughs> I think it's all right. I think it's if you have nostalgia. I do have nostalgia for it. Like more so than Coyote Ugly or whatever. So I think it was. Right. It feels like a step up from last week for me. But it's totally fine. I don't really think it's worth
0: watching now unless you really, really, really loved it when you were a kid or something.
1: Or if you're from mm-hmm. a big family, <laughs>
0: then you should watch it.
1: But I feel like if you're from a big family, you know it's nothing like that. And so it's like I see through your lies. But, but like if you're an only child or you only have one sibling or two siblings, it's like what would it be like to have a big family it's like no, but i feel like that might be what it's like kind of but like cartoony it's like the up like the 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 upper yeah. version of big family <laughs> the hopped up version <laughs> you mean that everyone's yeah. large family has an actual
0: frog falling into their scrambled eggs on a daily basis
1: you know what one thing i do appreciate about this movie their innovative sound and blocking okay because when it, in those scenes where all the kids were kind of peripherally involved and it was like it'd be like a one take or it'd be like a bunch of stunts in a sequence where things are flying and he's carrying kids and he's putting a band-aid on all that stuff yeah that was really well done yeah and I liked the sound design of it because all that stuff was added later like all the things they were saying were kind of funny like when he's like hiding in the closet on the phone the the Twin boys are like, come out and take it like a man. <laughs> like, yeah. They say never work with children. And they did. And it worked. I think I think it's a great... And they survived. Actually, there actually are some good child performances
0: in this. It does beg the question, though, did you watch the blooper reel? Because the kids begging to be done, a little troubling. But nothing is more troubling than the fucking outtake of the mom making out with the son. Why? Why would they put that in there? Because kids were going to see that. Maybe I should get a job at Common Sense Media based off of how. (laughs) Yeah, you you should. (laughs) I'm repressed from incest. (laughs) This movie was fine. It's fine. If you like it, if you liked it as a child, watch it again. I'm personally not watching it again, and that's fine. You are valid.
1: (laughs) You are valid. This is a safe space. In that case, Audrey. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at two pink productions.com we're on instagram twitter tiktok and youtube at sleepover cinema and post a full video version of each episode on youtube every thursday you can follow me audrey at audrey Anna Leach on everything and you can follow me hannah at hannah ray leach on instagram um and please join our
0: discord server if you haven't yet the uh link to do that is in our episode description and of course at our website to pink slash shop we have t-shirts sweatshirts stickers pens everything you could ever want sleepover cinema branded we got it and leave us a cute little review we would love to hear it love to read them um they put put some pep in our step.
1: so be generous and toss some love our way sleepover cinema is a production of evergreen podcasts produced edited and engineered by us hannah and audrey leach Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman-Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloia. We'll be back soon. Bye. Bye. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rock Star and Death of a Sport Star, this is Death of a Film Star, starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.
0: This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.